0: All right, so um, thank you, Thomas, for coming on. And also, I appreciate this question. It's it's good to, um, let us say, work with questions, asking questions and responding to questions because it gives a particular slant or a particular point of view or a way of seeing things. Uh, And that uh, basically, I introduce that because you're asking the question about what is PANYA and how do you develop it? And the answer to that would be um, looking, investigating, as opposed to holding a view. And so the word view in uh, the Pali uh is almost always confused by westerners because they think that uh right noble view is a way of looking at things or a decision that is made because of the way that we looked at things in the past uh and that we can think of that then as a viewpoint a world view a way of looking at the world uh from a vantage point it's almost like uh we become a camera with a certain angle and a certain focus and a certain direction and that's our whole world because that's the only thing that we can see but the cameras keeps looking in the same thing and seeing the same thing which means now it's just all a habit and that we uh, developed our habits when we were really little kids and then we don't question those habits or look at those habits until they really begin to get in the way and so that's when the Dhamma practice comes into play is, is that we begin to investigate all of these old viewpoints that we had taken up for new data or in the sense of looking and looking so you could say then what we're going to do is we're going to change it from a noun to a verb from a viewpoint or a Mm -hmm. view that we're holding as a noun into viewing or investigating which is a verb Mm -hmm. okay and that um uh there's many cases with that there's a difference between action because action is normally a verb excuse me it's a noun but acting is a verb Mm -hmm. and take an action which means uh, a verb take but the action stays as a noun and so what we're looking at here is the ability to start looking as a verb Um, Investigating, noticing, Um, uh, kind of an easy example to understand is is that you probably heard of Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson, a very famous uh, Doyle uh, set of novels. And the scene is is that uh, Dr. Watson accompanies Sherlock Holmes into the crime scene. And Dr. Watson is musing about what kind of people live there. And looks around. But Sherlock Holmes is not musing about the kind of people and things like that. He's there with his. um, uh, Magnifying glass. And he's studying things. he's looking and he's looking for two things. He's looking for, for things that are there. And then he's looking for things that are either not there or out of place. And this is also what we can begin to do. We can take that from Sherlock Holmes uh, because Dr. Watson was always amazed at how Sherlock Holmes could figure all of that stuff out. And the answer was that he knew how to look. And that's what the Dhamma is all about. In fact, there's just been published on um, uh, our strike group. Um, a, actually, this is a photo of a mural that is huge, and it's on the side of a building at Watson it, It's visible from, you know, gosh, hundreds of feet away. And it's a picture, it's got a, a Kind of a, an Egyptian, ancient Egyptian motif, where you have a Pharaoh kind of a guy sitting on a kind of a throne with a great big pot of Dhamma. And those Dhamma eyes then are given out one at a time. And there's uh, one guy there that's just putting his own, another one is making sure that it fits right and that kind of stuff. While up in the right hand corner, is dozens of people headless that are fleeing, they're running away. This is the normal way. Or you could also say there may not be fleeing so much from the Dhamma. It's just that you're just running around helter skelter with no eye at all. Just not looking at what you're doing. So the Dhamma eye means that now uh, with our Dhamma eye, we begin to investigate what is going on right here, right now. So you can say that a view is based upon the past because we accumulate the dharma or excuse me, we accumulate information and we come to a conclusion. And then that conclusion is a viewpoint that we hold. Mm -hmm. Examples of that would be this country is better than that country or this religion is better than that religion or this um, a uh, political party is better than that political party. And uh, we hold these views without investigating. Uh, and so the whole quality of uh, the teachings of the Buddha has to do with booking and investigating to see what is wholesome and what is not wholesome or what is, let um, us say, useful, valuable, wholesome as opposed to unsatisfied. So we're looking for the way of getting the mind into a state of satisfaction at yeah. this present moment. That's what we're actually looking for. Looking for what's going on in this present moment that's worth having this moment over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's the very best thing that we can do with this moment? And then we do that the next moment and we investigate the next moment. What can we do to make this moment a very good moment? What can we do to take the dissatisfaction out of this moment so that it's left with satisfaction?
1: What's crazy is that it it feels like a lot of the time when that question is asked. Um, really, like there's not a, a I mean, obviously you can be having a bad time, but uh, most of the time. We're, nothing's really going wrong. And uh, uh, observing that question, I come to the conclusion that. Really need, There's not a whole lot to remove or add. It's just a matter of being content kind of being okay with what is mm-hmm. and um, it feels like uh, uh seeing intensely is just uh, thinking about a uh, awareness a bit where you're faced with a, a void it's kind of like it's a uh, opinion less in some way it just is
0: mm-hmm. Well, when we continue to look and, and make, uh, let us say, data points or dots of reality, wisdom then is the ability to connect the dots or to draw the trajectory. In other words, if you have just one dot, there's, you can go anywhere with two dots. You, you you get a kind of an idea, but the kind of an idea would require then that things are going in a straight line. But in fact, that's what science is all about, is to find out that things may not be connected like this so that it goes this way, that it might have this dot, this dot, this dot, this dot, this dot, like that. And so it winds up being an asymptotic curve, but we have to look and gather that data. Over and over and over again, that this is exactly how um, the ancient astronomers, uh, especially culminating with um, Newton, of understanding his formula for gravity it was because they kept getting more and more and more data points and getting more and more observations. Okay, well, that's actually a lot of work, and most of us give up collecting data when we're kids. and So all the data that we have is based upon very, very old information that um, uh, we did not uh, calculate the trajectory very well when we were kids. And there's um, there's basically uh, several things that happens with almost every child, and that is one when we are born, we are nurtured by our mom, she takes care of us. Very few of us that I've, in fact, I've never met a baby who was what you would call a dumpster baby, a baby that was left on a doorstep or thrown in a dumpster, right? Those babies generally don't do well and they don't survive. But our moms took care of us. And I'm very grateful for my mom to give me that nurturing. She took care of me when I was a babe. Until she got pregnant again. And about the age of four, that's when I turned from uh, mom's little baby into mom's little helper. And from there, it's going to school. Okay, and so our life changes at about the age of four to six for most kids. But in fact, the age of six has been known for centuries that a kid who is six years old is capable of surviving on his own. Many examples of that, that's in fact, why kids were put to work at the age of six. But when I was in India, uh, uh, depending upon where I was Indian and whatnot, but generally the waiters, the table waiters were all six and seven year old kids because they're already up the that. That in fact, even in the West, that's when we instead of putting our kids to work at the age of six, we put them in school and put them to work that way. OK, so but uh, but a, a six year old. Uh, can be put to work, but he still has a six year old's way of looking at things, a viewpoint. So. We began to gather a lot of information when we were kids and almost all of us resent that we were taken out of that nurturing place as infants. And then as children, we were put to work. And now the whole society is exploiting you. In fact, the whole society exploits every child that's born because there are people in there that want. Uh, it to be exploited. An example of that is a boss is not going to hire a worker. Unless that boss knows for sure he, the boss, is going to make some money off of that worker. Which means that the worker is not going to be paid his full value. It's never the case that we actually uh, get the rewards for our entire value. And so we've gotten that mentality of being ripped off, being victimized. And so we grow up with that mentality of being victimized, that we don't grow up with the idea that, oh, I can handle anything. We get to the idea of what can we handle and find something that you're good at and be good at that. But. Very rarely is the choice of what we're going to be good at, why? Because we are supposed to we are told to be good at something and then we have to choose something to be good at. And that generally doesn't get us into a position of satisfaction. And in fact, if we were able to tell our children somehow that being satisfied with life and being happy for instance, uh, a kid in grammar school, to tell her to be happy rather than to get good grades. The grades are irrelevant. The question is, are you going to enjoy your day at school? Well, sometimes in order to enjoy the day at school, that means that the kids got to figure out that if I do my homework, I'll have a good day. And if I don't do my homework, it won't be a good day. But most kids never figure that out. They just get in that war about, am I going to do the homework or not? But whether they do it or not, they're going to still wind up feeling bad. And so this is the basic habit that we get into. Our culture supports it, our mommies and daddies support it, because that's the position that they're in. And we see that life's choices has to do about whether you were going to do it or not do it. But a much better criteria for living our lives is, am I going to enjoy this if I do it? Am I going to enjoy this if I don't do it? Or am I not going to enjoy it if I don't do it? Or not enjoy it if I do do it? Okay, so that's normally, is kind of like an okay corral. And um, from left to right is, do you do it or not do it? And then from up and down, I feel bad, I feel good. And when you recognize that those are two different choices that we can make, then we can always choose to feel good whether we choose to do it or not. Mm. But we're in such a bad habit of uh, choosing to feel bad whether I do it or to feel bad if I don't do it. And so our choices is always winding up, keeping us from being satisfied. And so the whole practice of the Dhamma is to remember to change that thought pattern, to change the way that we're looking at things and to choose intentionally to talk ourselves into the state of liking, to come up to the state of enjoyment that these things that we're talking about are very specifically mentioned in the sutras. But somehow I know whether Western Buddhism kind of reads right past that information that doesn't pick it up. Or um, more than likely though, what they're to do is that they're taking this information and then making it an ideal, a goal that's almost unattainable. Like enlightenment and nirvana. For me, it's, it's
1: I, I, I already knew before I talked to you uh, last time that it was uh, not through seeking and wanting that I was going to get it, <laughs> but you added a, a layer on that and we're like, listen, if you want it, it's done. <laughs> it's over.
0: <laughs> yeah. If you want it, you don't get it because in fact, it's the wanting that keeps us in a state of turmoil. It's the wanting.
1: It gets multiplied. It's whatever you feed gets multiplied.
0: So. Mm-hmm. And so the entire practice then is based upon the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Noble Path and the application of that eight Noble Path in the practice of Anapanasati. And we do that for basically two reasons. One is to wake up. and to look at what we're doing, et cetera, like that, get the mind into a really, really good state. And then we have something to do. In other words, getting the mind in a really good state would be like getting the mind fit for work. This is a term Vicky Buddha Dasa used. It's a mind that's fit for work. It means now we can put it to work, mm-hmm. we gotta get it ready for work, okay. That no one gets right out of bed, I mean, some people do because they're working at home, uh, to get right out of bed onto the computer. No, most of us will go to the bathroom, take a shower, get cleaned up, maybe get some refreshment, get a cup of coffee, and then we sit down to work. In other words, we get ready to work and then we work. And many times people will show up at work and they're not ready to work. They're hungover. (laughs) <laughs> Angry.
1: This kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier at, uh, uh, observing the moment and what is, uh, what is generating satisfaction and what isn't. And in some sense, like getting ready for work is having created some sort of environment that is already benefiting observing even more.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, and so. I mean, obviously, this will depend on everyone, but whatever I decide upon investigating my own lifestyle is hindering my observance should should I exit the picture.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. So normally what happens then in the mind is, is that people will just continue to think the way that they have been thinking, think about the things that they want to think, but they don't really pay any attention to are looking at what and how they're thinking, knowing that they have a choice. That normally what happens is the mind will get bored. Let us say that uh, yeah. is someone is lot watching of YouTube and after about three or four minutes of that one particular one, they'll go to another and they'll open <laughs> another. It's almost like YouTube has to get all of its work done in the first five minutes because most people are not going to be watching the whole video Mm -hmm. because of the boredom. So we jump from one thing to the next. Um, In certain places, they call that monkey mind. Mm -hmm. The mind jumps from here to there to here to there, and when we move from that one video to the next video. We know kind of that we're doing that, but we don't look at why did I change the video? What was I looking for? Did I get what I was looking for from this video? Or am I now just curious about the next one and I'm not paying attention to this one anymore? Well, the when we can see that we do that with our uh, youtube videos and and uh, other things like that we can recognize we do that with our own thoughts and this is when the students get into the meditation hall and they recognize that their mind is a monkey mind it's almost like we've got an internal youtube and we just keep <laughs> switching the channels mm-hmm over and over and over again back into a kind of a circle so that we get with this one and then a b and c and d and e and a and b and c and a and one and two and a and b and c and then just over and over yeah it's funny because
1: before i i had heard of this expression and i had integrated it in a sense of when i meditate i see that my thoughts are all over the place and i would call that monkey mind as in I don't get to decide the fact that my mind is a monkey endlessly jumping from a branch to another branch, from a thought to another thought, but what you just brought in of accountability and saying, I am deciding to hop from the branch to the other branch because I am dissatisfied with this branch and that's why the other branch comes around is really, thank you for that. Man.
0: Yeah, so. Sure. Now what we're going to be doing instead is to start looking at that we do want to change. That, in fact, everything is in constant turmoil anyway. That if things were not in constant turmoil, the mind wouldn't jump from this video to the next video to the next video. Something in the mind changed. When we started the video, we wanted that video. (laughs) But three minutes into it, we don't want it anymore. We've changed. (laughs) <laughs> yes. yes, All right, so now we're beginning to notice that change. This is what we're looking at, is the changes that are happening because we have a, um, let us say, we can begin to take control over those things. And so this is where the investigation comes in, into the sense of seeing that change and that jump and recognizing that dissatisfaction that is with the video that we're playing right now. Okay, at one point we wanted that thought and now we don't want it anymore and we become dissatisfied. Like, that's where uh, the, uh, the observation comes in, but the observation has a kind of a prerequisite. And that is to remember to look. It's not just a matter of looking. We have to remember to look. Remember to keep coming back. And so this is one of the skills to be developed. And we want to develop that intentionally. In just a few minutes, I'll talk about one of the ways of developing sati intentionally. Because we want to find something that goes back and forth and up and down. And every time that it goes from one to the other, we're going to hit it. <laughs> okay.
1: Some monkey spunk in ahead.
0: <laughs> uh-huh. Now, once we are have the sati and we do the investigation, we're going to make a choice about is this thought actually good enough right now? Or can I make it better? Can I make a change to it? Mm. And the change that we're going to make then would be bringing the mind out of an unwholesome state into a wholesome state by having uh, removed the unwholesome thought with a wholesome thought. An example of that would be uh, the Buddha uses the term, aha, I see you, Mara. Aha, I see you, unwholesome thought. Or I see that I've become dissatisfied with this thought. Whatever it is. Now, it's also possible to wake up sati. Take a look and see that the mind right now is already in a great big wholesome state. Mm. If that's the case, then we can make it even more wholesome by congratulating ourselves for having a mind in a wholesome state. Oh, wow, I'm glad that I'm still here. <laughs> mm. mm-hmm. All right. And so we can bring a way of congratulating ourselves from seeing the dukkha and coming out of it or seeing that we're not in it. Both of those are worthy of congratulations. Great tools, great tools. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. So the, in the beginning, we're going to be noticing a whole lot of monkey mind jumping around. And uh, often we don't like it. Shame. Be- huh? Because that's the, that's the state of mind that we've had for years and we didn't know that. Now that we're beginning to look, we can see the monkey mind and we don't like it, which is just more monkey mind. Yeah. Now the monkey mind is jumped out <laughs> of the limb that he's sewn onto the I don't like, the monkey mind limb. Yes. All right, and so here's the point that we have to take the right effort, which is part of the Eightfold Noble Path to take the right effort, to actually gladden the mind, to actually mm-hmm. uh, throw out that unwholesome thought, oh, poor me, I can't do this meditation, it's hard work, into, ah, I got it again, never mind, start again. That's a very famous phrase that Goenka got going, never mind, start again. Mm-hmm. When the mind wanders away and you recognize it, it wandered away, just come back and start again. Now, this is the point about the sati is because if we can remember to never mind start again, then we can continue to do that. So now we begin to apply that sati to the breathing. How we apply it to the breathing is uh, basically there's one thing that's missing with Western meditation. They try to make it too passive to where actually Anapanasati is an active meditation. And one of the things that we mean by active is, is that we're actually going to start controlling the mind rather than just letting it be a pet that's just all over the place, okay? An example is uh, a puppy or a young dog under a year old, and the owner goes to work in the daytime and the dog is left at home at home for all kinds of mischief. That's when the dog will chew on the couch or chew up and make a great big mess, okay? And when we come home, what the dog really needs is a whole lot of love and affection and attention. And what do we do? We fuss at the dog instead for making a mess, right? We're actually very happy to see the dog. The dog is very happy to see us. He won't let that because the mess that he's made in the past now becomes important. And so um, one of the ways of learning to control a dog, well, one thing is, is that they, they kind of grow out of that chewing stage. But another point is, is that we can work with the dog by giving him toys to chew on. And so here we're going to give the mind something to chew on. Yes. Okay. Which means now that we have to, uh, to take control. Rather than just letting the dog just go do what he wants to do and then punish him later for it, we're going to actively take control of the mind by paying attention to the breath. And we're going to learn to control the breath by the mind paying attention to it. This is not a passive meditation. This is an active meditation. And the active meditation is... To take in, in the sutras, they talk about it mindfully, he breathes in long and mindfully he breathes out long. Now, what does that mean? It means that we're going to intentionally or mindfully take longer, deeper breaths, which means we're beginning to control the mind to control the breath. You can't control the breath by having long, deep in-breaths and long, deep out-breaths if you don't control the mind to do that. The body's just not going to do it by itself. In fact, the body doesn't even breathe at all by itself. It's the lower part of the reptilian brain in the back and the automatic pilot part of the brain. Uh, and We're going to bring that breathing control out of the automatic pilot in the anterior cortex up to the frontal cortex by consciously breathing now one of the things that the neuroscientists have learned through their functional MRIs and whatnot that if someone is actually paying attention to and taking deep breaths it actually does light up the frontal cortex in other words, the neurons in the frontal cortex start to firing. in fact, they actually know where that, the places of the brain are because there's one on each side of them and it's right down in this area here where the mind starts to fire or the brain starts to operate in order to take long deep breaths. Also, there's great benefit in taking these long, deep breaths. One of them is is that we get more oxygen in, and the body needs oxygen to to live, but we normally function at a very, very low level, just the least amount of air necessary to keep us alive. But when we start to breathe more, we begin to make the body feel vibrantly alive. We wake the body up, literally, through the breathing, and we wake the body up through the minds, watching the breathing. Also on the out breath, by breathing out long, we rid the body of a lot of pollutions, carbon dioxide, and other little bodily chemicals. For instance, if we've gotten angry or anxious or um, stressed out, uh, anxiety, that kind of thing, by breathing in and out long, the adrenaline that has leaked into the system can be expelled through the through the lungs, because the lungs will break down that stuff and then exhale it if you're actually breathing out long intentionally. Then, then in fact, the sigh of relief is that exactly we want to be relieved of all of the pollutions that we have built up in the body, mainly through the way that we're thinking. So if we change the way that we're thinking, we can begin to brighten up let the body feel better as well as brighten up the mind by having new kinds of thoughts. And those new kinds of thoughts are going to be wholesome thoughts, mostly wholesome thoughts about what is happening in our world. And when I say in our world, I'm talking about in our location, in our environment, in our setting. That most in the West, we think of the world as some place way off there. We often will have an image of a planet Earth. But your world is actually the world of your senses in the in the uh, way of your world is what you can see, what you can hear, what you can taste, what you can touch, what you can bring in as sensory awareness. And what's happening way over yonder or what happened long ago is only a concept in the mind. It's not real. And and it's and it's on the it, it's the monkey mind that's jumping around, giving us the delusion that the past is real because we're thinking about the past. But the real real is right here, right now. Yeah. And so we're going to start paying more attention to and talking to ourselves with discursive thought about what's happening right here, right now. And so,
1: all of this. Um... So this is really interesting because you're absolutely right. Uh, The the, uh, Westerner approach is definitely to not touch the mind and kind of passively be a bystander and and try to not inflict on it. Uh, So it's it's very interesting and empowering to feel like it's okay and even uh, desirable to make it long and make it uh, deep, Uh, take it in and take it out and breathe it out. Uh, and I'm I'm curious, uh, is the sole goal of that practice to start building a momentum of controlling the mind, being able to be aware of its state at each time and gladden it on on command?
0: I would say yes, more or less. I would say it differently. Without using the word goal. Uh, but You can make it a goal in the sense that it's an immediate goal. Yes. Often our goals are way off into the future, which means (laughs) that they're just magical thinking. So when we're talking about the goal, the goal is to take a deep breath, and then we do the deep breath, and we've just met our goal. So let's celebrate we just did it. Cool, cool, cool. (laughs) Okay. Or another way of thinking of it is that the only goal that we need to do is to remove the unwholesome thought and to put a wholesome thought in. That's the only work there is to do. And once we've done that, the job is done. Mm-hmm. Now we can rest. Mm-hmm.
1: And and so I guess, uh, um, when do you stop? When, when there's just uh, uh, the monkey stops jumping?
0: Right. For a while, and then he'll start jumping again (laughs) for a while. Then you remember, and it'll stop again for a while. Mm -hmm. All right. So we keep coming back over and over and over again because the monkey forgets that he's okay. And so he wants to go get something. Got it. Got it. And so we have to continue to practice this little operation of Remembering to investigate, to take a look with the idea that, hey, we can make this right now. We can make this better. We can throw out whatever we're in the mind and put something even more wholesome in the mind. And uh, that would be like um, spending our mind moments actually looking at the effects of the breathing, to actually pay attention to or to. Uh, let us say, with our sensational part of the mind, Mm -hmm. begin to notice the air that's coming in is generally cooler. And the warming of that air as it comes into the uh, nostril area actually feels quite nice. And not only that, but when we're breathing through the nose, it actually cleans the air. If we're breathing through the mouth, the air goes straight in unaffected right into the lungs, but if we're breathing through the nose, there's there, uh, it doesn't just come from the nose all straight down, but it's got a lot of cavities in there and the air goes all around. It's almost like a, a maze that it has to go through. And that maze also gets filled with mucus and the mucus has a job to do, which is to clean the air, but a lot of, uh, uh, let us say, white blood cells cells die. This is why uh, it gets um, kind of yellow and kind of thick. But then it gets a darker color and that darker color is because of the pollution that was in the air that we were able to clean out before it got into the lungs. And so this is how we begin to pay attention to what it actually feels like up in the top part of the nose. And you can feel whether it's stopped up or not. And so cleaning the nose out and then being able to really breathe is a very, very good feeling. Also, you can feel the expansion of the chest and get the feeling that everything is okay, everything is alive. We begin to pay more attention to the body, spending much more mind moments being in the here now through the experience of the sensations of the body. That's one of the things, by the way, that children, by and large, are trained out of that really young children are very, very sensitive to the body. Everything seems to be pain. A little child who at the age of three gets uh, an injection, a hypodermic needle injection, and it hurts so much that they have that attitude for the rest of their lives. And then they won't take a virus uh, uh, vaccine because they're afraid of a little pain that they had when (laughs) they years old. But over time, that three-year-old will stop paying attention to his body. The child will only fall down so many times in great pain. Now we've learned to walk. We don't fall down so much. And so we begin to not pay attention to what the body is doing. So Anapanasati is actually now beginning to experience the body in a brand new way. So we're not just going to wake it up with the air that we're breathing. We're going to wake it up because we're paying attention to what sensations are there in the chest, what sensations are there in the knees, what sensations are This in fact, why Goenka practices in the Goenka uh, method, the scanning of the body. It's a formalized way of doing it, but one doesn't have to do it formalized. You can do it kind of Let us call it haphazard, that we're going to now start paying attention to the body in whatever way is needed in that particular moment, as opposed to, never mind what I need to do, I'm going to do this scan in this formal order, right? So if there is an itch, say, on the shoulder, then we pay attention to that itch. If there is uh, a feeling of air rushing across the arm because of the um, uh, electric fan, we could pay attention to that, that sensory input. And so we begin to pay a whole lot of attention to the sensory input in a way of, this is so nice to actually experience being alive, Mm -hmm. to actually experience the body being alive, being able to take in sensory information, That's marvelous. Everybody actually loves that so much that everyone clings to life. Even capital punishment is (laughs) one of their most precious possession, which is being alive. And yet here we are in our culture, very few of us are paying attention to being alive. We're paying attention to getting the job done, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. thinking that if we do get the job done, then we can appreciate being alive. But then we just got more work to do more money to make, more things to buy, more arguments to get in, and we very rarely spend our time just sitting and enjoying being alive. That's what we're actually going to practice doing, is the, the wisdom of watching the body sitting here happily being alive.
1: doing oh, it is. Uh,
0: it, it almost also the,
1: the aspect of... Uh, um slowing down the breath by making it deeper and longer feels like it really goes hand in hand with this notion of uh, slowing down to observe. The mm-hmm. monkey is very fast and in some way we're kind of like
0: let's take it down a notch or two. Let's well, slow it down a little bit. Maybe <laughs> down to the place where, where it can actually rest.
1: Uh-huh,
0: uh-huh. Let the monkey stay on one branch for a while. Mm-hmm, so it doesn't mm-hmm. have to jump so quickly so uh taking our attention span then from three minutes up to four up to five maybe up to 20 then in fact uh they know for a long time that children at best have an attention span at 20 minutes Mm -hmm. so why have a class a math class that lasts for an hour because the last 40 minutes of that class kids are not paying much attention and as the teacher dancing around for them to get their attention. <laughs> and and so uh, the mind has an attention span and we want to work with that in the way of having our practice of meditation short within our intention span so that we can get maximum value out of it, while at the same time building the skill of increasing our attention span. So a a basic mistake that is made in Western meditation is to have hour long or 45 minute long sessions of sitting, which is actually longer than the attention span, which means that most people are uh, wasting at least half their time or more in the second half. They've gotten tired. The mind has gotten um, uh, exhausted. that uh, we then begin to go deep into meditation. But that kind of deep meditation is kind of like a sleep. We're not looking for a deep meditation, we're looking for the development of a bright mind. Hmm. And so whenever someone talks about being deep in meditation, I say, well, I'm sorry (laughs) that you're doing that (laughs) because you're not going to be able to see things very well if you're if the mind is dull. So the way that we can keep the mind from being dull is by making sure that we're taking long deep breaths. And also with Sati to keep renewing that intention, that attention span to keep renewing, to keep coming back and coming back and starting to make things new again. This new breath is a new breath. Let's start over. Never mind, start again. Hmm. Hmm. Okay, so. And so uh, starting in the beginning of having uh, shorter sessions, let us say uh, 10 or 20 minutes at the most, but doing it more often a day rather than once or twice a day, let's plan on doing it five or six times a day. Six times a day for 10 minutes Mm -hmm. will give you much better results than one full hour at one time. Because uh, that waking up and remembering to wake up then will start to happen between those ten-minute sessions.
1: We'll be we'll be very wakeful. We'll be very yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And and so keep remembering to come back and keep remembering to come back and doing that often a day. The progress will be fast. But if students are practicing one hour a day sitting for a long period of time and allowing the mind to get really dull and thinking that the dullness is some value. And so they'll very quickly get their mind into a state of dull. Mm -hmm. Okay, but that dull state is actually a hindrance rather than an attribute. We want to wake the mind up. We want to uh, bring it up, not down. Okay. Uh, And so by by bringing it up, it, it also has its own stability. Because we're above the world. We're not agitated by the world. When the mind gets deep, it's also down in the dirt. Hmm. And so uh, real relaxation can come by getting away from it, getting up above it. And how we do that is by literally talking ourselves into feeling good. A way of saying it is, is that we have spent our whole lives talking ourselves into feeling bad. Now it's time to intentionally start talking ourselves into feeling good. To start telling the monkey, you're oh, okay. Everything is fine. Nope, <laughs> oh, nothing to do. And we can just relax. So we're going to be taking long, deep, relaxing breaths. We're going to be noticing the body with the idea that we're going to find where the tensions are in the body and bring the breathing into those areas so that the body can relax. That's what the whole point of the first tetrad of Anapanasati is, is to relax the body. But in order to relax the body, we also got to relax the mind.
1: Thank you. I, I have to go, but, but this was so uh, practical and <laughs> supramundane, <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm grateful. Thank you for the tools.
0: All right, well, we'll go ahead and finish here. I think that this is in fact a very good place to, to stop for this talk, but there's a whole lot more to it, but let's, let's review these three things. And that is Sati, to remember, and we're going to develop that as a skill. And we're going to remember on the in-breath. And we're going to remember on the outbreath breath yeah. to make this a long breath. And so that sati actually with the in-breath and the out-breath, that develops the sati to keep remembering, to come back to the here now, to keep coming back to the body, to keep coming back to the body with the mind, mm. to come back and be here now. So we're developing sati. And we're also looking at what we're doing, the investigation. What's the mind doing? And mm-hmm. we're going to tame it. From whatever it's doing, past, future, jobs to do, anything like that, (laughs) into right here and right now, things are really nice. Look at what the body is doing. We're just sitting here just relaxed and enjoying it, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's one's right effort also is to throw out all of the stuff that is not here now and start having thoughts about what is here right now. Those are the three things to make that change to be here now. To remember to look at what we're doing. Mm-hmm. These items are on the Eightfold Noble Path, so this is what you would want to keep practicing. Now, the, the last point is is that that's going to develop something as a set of skills, and one of the skills that we're going to be developing is the the attitude of I can do this. I can settle down and relax and feel good Mm -hmm. that's amazing that people can actually begin to gain the skill of i can do this i can in fact relax Mm -hmm. without anybody without any money without any jobs to do i don't have to go do this or do that or buy this or buy this i can just sit down and relax but well, it needs to be practiced over and over and over again. Okay, <laughs> Thomas. So we'll let you go now.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'll leave you to it too. Yeah, yeah. All right. It was great. Yeah, thank you so much. All right, we'll <laughs> see you later.
0: See you later.
1: Bye bye. Remember.